Dear listener, this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Dear listener, we've done it. We've reached 100 episodes of Interfaith-ish. And to celebrate this milestone, which is also around our fourth anniversary, I invited past guests and fans of the show to share their reflections on what they've enjoyed most about our humble contribution to furthering interreligious literacy and understanding. I received a boatload of responses, and listening to these messages put a huge smile on my face for days. But sometimes, dear listener, the universe has other plans. Do you ever feel like you've been tripping over your own feet for no good reason? Like on that particular day, you just can't catch the rhythm of walking. Unfortunately, I'm in one of those moments right now. I had a great show all put together and a couple of technical snafus later, and I have to start over completely from scratch. So I'm hoping at some point in the near future, we'll get to listen to all the wonderful voicemails you left sharing what Interfaith-ish means to you and the rest of the show that I had planned. But no matter, it was a great time actually to have to make a last minute pivot because this happens to be a pretty amazing interfaith moment. This spring, the celebrations of Ramadan, Passover, Easter, Vaisakhi, Mahavir, Jayanti, Theraveda, New Year, and Rezvan are all occurring within the same month. Muslims, Jews, Christians, Baha'is, Sikhs, Hindus, Buddhists, and others are all celebrating major holidays within days of each other It's an intersection of celebrations that has not occurred in over 30 years. It's also the first time in two years that many of these celebrations are being held in person as our region, our country, and the world opens up to more in-person gatherings. So this week, I reached out to a handful of friends to ask how they've been celebrating and what reflections they have during this unique holiday season. First off is my conversation with journalist and fellow religion nerd, Sarah Ventry who traveled cross-country for her in-laws Passover Seder right here in Tacoma Park, Maryland. How many people did you have at your Seder? I think we thought it was going to be 20, and then it ended up being like 14. And um, my husband and I went, so his family is the one that lives in Tacoma Park, and we had gone like a couple days early. And the plan was that we were going to help, you know, get everything ready and set up the house and do the cooking and stuff. And um, his parents are really organized uh, people. They like to do what they call pre-positioning. And so we had taken like a (laughs) We had taken a red eye in like Wednesday night into Thursday and Passover started Friday at sundown. So we were like, okay, great. We're just going to take like a little nap. And then Thursday afternoon, we're going to wake up and we're going to like, they're like, yeah, we want to push all the tables together and like get out all the dishes. We're like, great. No problem. We'll help. And then we like woke up from our nap at like 1 PM and they had already done it all themselves. So (laughs) it was, there was a lot of that too, like making the salt water the day in advance and um, just like, you know, being really on top of things in a way that I never have been in my entire life. And it was also my first time having not a virtual Seder um, since 2019. So that was like really, um, I don't know what the word is. Uh, Like it just felt so good to be cooking with family and sitting with family and people sharing stories together and Mm. um, like 
I don't know. It's just like when you do Seder by yourself or when I did Seder by myself virtually anyway, I just felt like you, you like you're trying to cook, but you're just trying to cook for like yourself and like your your own tiny family unit. It's not like when you go to a big Seder and you make like lots of food and it's really joyous and everybody's sharing things together. Like everything felt so small and so mm-hmm. contained, like you were sitting at like a little table, like looking at a little screen. And then this year it was like, we ended up with like way too many flourless desserts and like everybody got felt like super sick afterwards. And <laughs> it was like delightful, you know, um, to like have this experience much. of like, how did we end up with six flourless cakes? I don't know, but we did. And like, it's great. So um, yeah, it just, it was really, really, really lovely. And also my, um, I have a little nephew who is just over a year old. Mm. Um, so this was his, first time at Passover with like with a proper Seder and I don't know there's just like something so beautiful about seeing like tiny babies and little kids like becoming part of this tradition that's been passed on for so long did you put them on the spot yeah we were like you are the um one who is too young to ask and then we held him up and (laughs) you know we we gave him the correct the proper answer from the four questions and then he uh no he's he's working on it you know Nice. He ate a lot of, uh, he was really into cirrhosis, so he oh, was really? taking part in the um, festive meal portion of the Seder, yeah. Good. And there was um, someone at our Seder who was a young adult who uh, really took seriously the four-drink minimum mandate of Passover and um, got drunk for the first time, so that was also <laughs> like... Um, Low really tolerance. Delightful to watch to just watch them be like something about the combination of these four glasses of wine and all of this sugar has made me feel a little bit uh, a little bit tipsy and it's like yep oh, that boy. will that'll do it it was the uh, <laughs> it was the sixth flourless chocolate cake yeah <laughs> That's tipped funny. it over the edge yeah so okay so it sounds like you had a good time at Passover it was great um, you got to visit the family. How was the rest of the week? Like post Seder, do you, I mean, do, did you do anything special for it? Do you, do you try to, do you have any, I, I don't know. I've been, I, I'm talking to folks this, this week about, you know, it's the confluence of, of Easter and, and Ramadan and all these other holidays that I think people are very self-reflective and, you know, for some people, Passover is that time too. I'm curious for you, like, what is, what is Passover, how does Passover sit in sort of your annual calendar and and what's special for you about this time so when i was a kid especially passover was like my favorite holiday because it just meant everybody getting together it was it felt so big it felt so special like my mom would let me take the day off from school the day like that passover started and i would stay home with her and like help her like clean the house and like finish cooking everything and get everything ready and it just felt like this really special thing um and as i've gotten older like some aspects of it have changed, but I actually, so I keep kosher for Passover during the week of Passover and Mm. not a lot of people like my husband doesn't, for example, like not a lot of people I know do. So for me, there's first thing is there's this sort of constant reminder of the time that we're in um, because I'm constantly thinking about like what I'm eating and how I'm eating and things like that, that I don't normally have to be as conscious about. So that in some way like kind of connects me 
throughout the week to the idea that I'm still in this special time. And then the other thing that I started doing last year for the first time is um, there's this practice in Judaism of counting the Omer, um, which begins on the second night of Passover. And I started doing that for the first time last year. It was not a tradition that I grew up with. But um, that has also been really special to me because um, it feels like this very sort of spiritual moment that you can take to like connect with this, you know, like the idea of this Firo and the Omer, it's like, it's very kind of mystical and Kabbalistic and you're kind of connecting with these thematic ideas that exist on maybe a higher plane or something. And so I've been and trying to- Can you to explain what the Omer is? I'll try, but you should fact check me because I'm still very new to it. <laughs> well, just your, your, you know, Cliff Notes version. Sure. Okay. So it's this 49 day period and it starts on the second night of Passover and it ends on the holiday of Shavuot. And um, I believe that it is a, so each week, so it's set 49 days. So it's seven weeks and each week re like is represented by um, kind of a, like a mystical idea or, um, or a concept that you can connect to. And then each so each of the weeks is and then each of the days within the week has its own sort of sub thing so like so um like in fact i'll just check i have an app that i used to you have an count. omer app i have an omer app courtesy of chabad um <laughs> shout out to chabad shout, shout out to just, Mati. and i actually bought this year a um an omer oracle deck and so like what 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 is so that? like like think about like like a tarot deck whoa but it's like look at for, those for okay. the omer so i'm gonna pull the card from for today okay says, so pulling pull cards pulling cards so this one says aligned activation of heart expansion so this week is like they this particular group translates it as heart expansion and so like there's often a kind of wait so if i look at the book okay so it says uh this this particular interpret this is not the chabad interpretation uh says ready to mixing, activate mixing the chabad with the woo woo <laughs> yeah. Ready to activate, open the sacred portal and invite the world to collaborate. So it's about like sort of thinking about um, like our values, what lies at our heart, what lies at our core and ways that we can create and interact with other people to create beautiful things. And so like every night I say this like little, it's like a really short blessing, like a one line blessing. And then at the end of the blessing, you say today is the sixth day of the Omer. Today's the seventh day of the Omer. And then I, I kind of like read like the, the app I use has like a little, um, like something a rabbi wrote about a way, like a way to think about the day I use my pull a card, my card from the um, Omer Oracle deck. And I kind of read like, and think about like, what is this um, spiritual idea? What could it mean in my life at this time? And I think it's both a really lovely way to mark this passing of time and also connect with the idea that historically, you know, that the idea is that's, things were happening during this time that like, um, you know, during the period of the Omer is when um, the Zohar was revealed. And like at the end of it is when the like, a lot of laws were revealed. So um, yeah, it's just a kind of a way that I've been thinking about um, 
trying to take a brief moment each night before I go to bed to connect with like some sort of idea and really think about how this maybe ancient mystical teaching could apply in my life. That's so beautiful. That's such Thank a great you. way to take something that could very easily... I mean, to be honest with you, I, I thought you were just going to say, yeah, we did the Seder. We had a nice meal as a family. It's a fun time. And then I go home and life resumes as usual. But what you're talking about is is really beautiful that you've made it such a special time for you. And, and, and on top of that are starting a new tradition for yourself. That's cool. Thanks. Yeah, I, um, I like it. And it's also nice, too, because I think, um, I don't know, maybe some Jews in our age group um, you know, I feel like I'm a person who really craves tradition, but I maybe I'm not a traditional person, if that makes sense. And so uh -huh. I've been trying to find ways to like, um, you know, connect with the traditions in a way that resonate with me and that feel, um, you know, egalitarian or, or um, equitable or connected to social justice or things. And so um, for me, counting the Omer has like been a really nice way to do that. This is Interfaith-ish, our bi-weekly show on WOWD 94.3 FM, where we discuss the common ground and differences between our traditions. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and this morning, we're discussing the experience of celebrating religious holidays in person for the first time in two years. Next, I talk about Easter with Cassandra Lawrence, a member of DC's Foundry United Methodist Church and a staff member at the Interreligious Advocacy Project, Shoulder to Shoulder. I want to jump into it uh, to ask a question from from another holiday of this season. Why is this year different from all other years? What was <laughs> what was different about Easter for you this year? This year, I got to have actual Easter worship with other people in my presence, in our presence, yeah. each other's presence. So I have pictures now of of my laptop at sunrise with a little candle watching someone else do a sunrise service somewhere else and me by myself in my backyard with a cup of hot tea, <laughs> um, which is lovely and great because I can just wear my pajamas, but not so great in feeling part of the community. Um, right. And so, which is what you were doing the last couple of years since 2020. Yeah. yeah. And so this year, but it was also surreal to be in the, the sanctuary because usually I attend a, pretty big church. And on Easter Sunday, there's like three overflow spaces. So it's packed, packed, packed. And, and, and was, tell me again, the church. I attend Foundry United Methodist Church um, mm -hmm. in DuPont Circle in DC. And so uh, this year, it was fuller than it has been for the last two and a half years, um, but not nearly as full. And the whole congregation is right. masked. Everyone wears masks in the space um, to protect the little kids and others. So, um, so yeah, it still it still didn't feel normal to me, mm. but it felt more than it has in so long um, to see lots of little kids running around and people greeting each other. Was that the first big gathering that people have had? You know, of this for for this. I mean, this is one of the principal holidays um, in the church. So, so what was it like there for for the community to gather for this event? There was a lot of tears of people just 
be just releasing so much weight of like, oh my God, I actually missed hearing other people sing, even mm. the ones that sing poorly. You know, on the, <laughs> on the inside of our hymnals, there's like John Wesley's rules for singing, and they're like legitimately he had rules for singing. Okay, um, what's a, what's a rule? Throw a rule at me. The rule is to sing lustily. Even if you're back. Lustily. Lustily. Wow. Lustily. Um, and to sing as if you're not dead. Don't sing as if you're dead. Um, it's sort of like that. The type church of is a place for life, for rebirth. Don't yes. be dead. Yes, don't be dead. Um, so I think that was a big thing. Like all of us feeling like, oh my God, we're, we're here and we're physically present together. Um, mm which is so much, so much spiritual religious life is about community, right. um, restores us to community and to me, to God and to community. And so it's like, I, I it's so hard to do it when I'm by myself in my apartment um, to connect to community. However many phone calls, texts and Zooms we have, right. doesn't feel the same. Coming through this time that we've all come through, um, it just re-cements for me that the true radical message or one of the radical messages in our Holy Scriptures um, is the power of community and being with each other. Speaking of uh, interfaith connections and community, what is the work that, that you're doing right now at this time with, with Shoulder to Shoulder and and the, the campaign that you're doing around all of these spring holidays that are that are happening at this time. Oh my gosh, I am a religious nerd, as you know, Jack. Um, <laughs> and takes I one to know one. Yeah, I have known this overlap was happening for several years because I could see Ramadan moving, mm. Passover and Easter pretty much stay ish about the same, coupled pretty closely, and I could see Ramadan moving, and I was like, ooh. This is, this is going to happen. We're going <laughs> to all come together. And for me, what um, reflecting on that piece, reflecting on our current moment in history, reflecting on the fact that there's an election cycle happening and that during election cycles, we see a rise in xenophobia and in mm. um, hate speech perpetuated by a lot of politicians um, and then recirculated by um, the community. Um, we saw this as an opportunity to remind our communities of our highest ideals and to remind each other that it's through being in solidarity, being in relationship with each other, that we live into um, our ideals of religious freedom, of liberty, of justice, of beloved community, that it's through standing up with each other, um, rising up with each other to respond to exclusion and discrimination that we live into the America that we want to have. Um, and so our campaign was to really encourage community leaders to write um, opinion pieces on what this overlap means for them, what multi-religious engagement has meant for them and their community, how building multi-religious um, networks strengthen our communities um, from disaster response, like we've seen in many, many cities that have experienced disasters from tornadoes to hurricanes to floods and so on, to responding to hate crimes um, and how we respond to those things. And so having a multi-religious network makes us stronger as individual communities because we were reminded that we're not alone, mm. even because trauma 
and experiences like disasters and hate crimes draw us in to ourselves because there's that response, that stress response. And so you become disconnected from the community. You become disconnected from a lot of things um, uh, because of this experience of trauma. And so um, having a multi-faith network that you can reach out to that you've built ahead of time helps us become more resilient as a country. I think that it's it's, it's uh, interesting how shoulder to shoulder, which I think historically is basically uh, Christians advocating for Muslim neighbors, if I'm right about that, mm-hmm. um, has with this campaign actually thrown that net or or open that tent even wider in celebrating all of these spring festivals that are happening at the same time that aren't just uh in- inclusive of, of passover and easter and and ramadan but actually a host of others can can you enumerate all the other ones that are that are also happening at this time yes this is a test for you <laughs> oh my gosh okay so we have uh spring the spring solstice mm-hmm. uh we have uh hanuman hyante which is a, a hindu uh, holiday um, celebrating the uh, Hanuman, which is the monkey god. So we have Vaisakhi uh, celebrated by the Sikh community. Um, we have Rezvan uh, celebrated by Baha'is. Theravada Buddhists uh, celebrate the new year at this time as well. Um, and there are many more that I'm probably forgetting because <laughs> our religious diversity in the world is incredible and beautiful. Um, but there's a lot of holy days that are celebrated around the spring season um, and the, the full moon um, uh, time period. And so, um, so yeah, so one of the reasons we decided to, to really uh, launch this spring campaign was because as an organization, we started out as uh, individuals and, organ- and national denominations who were both Christian and Jewish responding to a rise in, in anti-Muslim discrimination um, that was happening in our country um, in 2010. And so we were, we are a multi-faith coalition. And yes, we've mostly focused on a lot of Christian communities and Jewish communities. But as, as the country has changed, we have also um, begun to re-reach out to folks like the Sikh community and Mm. others who are impacted by Islamophobia as well, because Mm. in our country, we have racialized religious differences. And so there are many people that are impacted by Islamophobia, including um, Hindus, South Asians in general, um, Arab, uh, Sikh, um, uh, and and, uh, um, African-Americans and uh, people that are recent immigrants. And so in opening that up, what we're really trying to do is say like, look, yes, it's important for Christians and and Jewish communities to come together and respond to anti-Muslim discrimination and violence. And this isn't just about anti-Muslim discrimination. This is about how we treat everyone in this country. It's about anti-Semitism. It's about xenophobia. It's about um, anti-Black racism. It's about um, uh, white Christian supremacy. It's about like how we live into our highest ideals as a community. And you know, as a Christian, we're taught to seek truth and wisdom wherever truth and wisdom is. And mm-hmm. so that is to me like seeking it in the writings of Bahula and seeing like, oh, plant nothing but the rose of love in the garden of our hearts. And that is so close to 
the wisdom that I seek, the, the, the way I seek to live into the world, the way shoulder to shoulder seeks uh, for our communities to live into the world, which is to be better neighbors and to learn how to live together um, in solidarity, as well as in living into stronger, more resilient communities where everyone's dignity is, is cherished and protected. This is Interfaith-ish, our bi-weekly show on WOWD 94.3 FM, where we discuss the common ground and differences between our traditions. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and this morning, we're talking about the experience of celebrating religious holidays in person for the first time in two years. From DC, we head up to Canada to talk to another former guest, Dalraj Singh Gill, who I first met in 2020 thanks to his podcast, Experience Sikhi. The Sikh holiday Vaisakhi occurred earlier this month and is primarily known as a harvest festival. But as Dalraj shares, there's a bit more to the story behind the holiday. So Vaisakhi uh, originally, especially in the Indian subcontinent, actually marks the first day of the month of Vaisakh. It's the second month in the, uh, I call it the Desi calendar, which runs on the lunar and solar system. What does that date translate to for, for Gregorian calendar? Does it change? Usually it's between April 13th and 14th. Got it. Between those two days. And in 1699, our 10th Guru, Guru Gobind Singh Ji, created the Khalsa on this day. And the way they did that was um, months or weeks before Vasaki of 1699, they sent out what we call Hukumname, which are letters, um, across the subcontinent to all of their Sikhs, asking them to gather at Anandapur Sahib, which is in Punjab. And on the day of Vasaki, they they came out to a crowd of about 80,000, I believe, hmm. and they asked for a head. They asked uh, the crowd if anyone was willing to give their head to the guru, um, essentially, again, giving up their life for Sikhi, for their guru. And they had to ask three times before one person finally got up. That was by Dearam. And they took him inside the tent. And the story goes that they did, in fact, behead them. And they made five more asks. So uh, four more asks for a total of five. And they took all of them into the tent. The crowd could hear um, the, the swoosh of a sword, um, blood coming out. And any time they would step out of the tent, there was blood on their sword. Uh, some accounts say that there wasn't even a tent that, that the crowd witnessed all of this. Whoa. And then after that, what Guru Gobind Singh Ji was, did was they grabbed a bhakta, which is an iron, um, a I think bowl is the wrong word, but cauldron, like one of those really big uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, bowls. And they took a kanda, which is a double-edged sword. Um, they took water from the Satluj River, put it into the bhakta, and they started reading Japti Sahib, um, which is one of our morning prayers. And they read all five of our morning banya, the prayers that we have to read in the morning as baptized six, into the bhakta while they were mixing it with the kanda, the double-edged sword. And during this time, Matajitoji, which was uh, their wife, brought patase. Patase are essentially small, um, I guess sugar balls, you could, you could call them. Um, and they put them into the water, and uh, Guru Sahib mixed those in with their kanda as well while they, were, while they were reading the baniya. And after that, they gave each of the five who had volunteered to give their head, um, they put the, that became Amrit, and they put that nectar into their mouths, and they... They came back to life and they were named the Panjabiyari, the five beloved ones, for being the first five who were ready to offer their head to the Guru. 
and they became the first members of the Kalsapant. Um, and after that, after giving the five Amrit, Guru Sahib asked them to give them uh, to give themselves Amrit as well. Uh, and that's where we kind of got the tradition of five Amritari Singhs being equivalent to the Guru because the Guru gave them Amrit and then they gave Amrit to the Guru. Um, and I know that's a lot. Dude, <laughs> that that's an intense story! That's a really... I, I know that's a lot. <laughs> and, and the fact of the matter that's is amazing. a lot of times Vasaki gets confused with it is the harvest season in Punjab, and I was um, going to say, lot... I, I heard that it was just a harvest festival. Yeah. I thought you were going to be like, yeah, the farmers go out and they take all their crops, and and we share their crops. And, and they do, but I, I feel like it's really important for everyone to know that there's a much deeper and significant meaning behind it. This is where the the Khalsa Sikh tradition starts on the Vasakhi of 1699. Wow. That's why we. That's where we are told that we have to wear five kakavs on us at all times or we're given our kutbah. The articles of faith. Exactly. And mm -hmm. we're given our code of conduct and uh, we're now told that we're no longer, um, we don't belong to any caste, creed, religion that we belonged to before. Now we're part of this one family, which is the Khalsa, where none of that matters. Um, so it's, a, it's a, I think you could uh, characterize it as one of the most important moments in Sikh history, if not the most important. Um, but because it coincides with the, the farmer's harvest uh, season, there's been a lot of overlap. But the main reason six celebrate Vasakhi is, is that one day. Dude, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Like six are super nice and everything, but do not come for them. They are intense. That's, they that's are, the they are ready to throw down hardcore. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's thank you for giving me the real real on that. That's that's uh, that's pretty wild. That's pretty wild. All right. So so um, how how then as a as a as a family as a community are you typically celebrating that that story that commitment this this uh, this you know testament to faith. Usually, um, it's one of the biggest days at the Gurdwara. Uh, Sangat, the congregation, just gathers at the Gurdwara. The hours are usually longer. We'll go up until 10, maybe 11 p.m. Wow. Um, lungers are made, so food is being distributed. And towards the end of the month, there's usually a huge parade called the Nagar Kirtan. Um, in the Toronto specifically, there are two large ones. One's in downtown Toronto, and then one is in Malton, so closer to the Brampton side. And a Nagar Kirtan literally translates to Nagar is a town, Kirtan is the hymns that we sing. Mm. So we're just going around town in the form of a parade singing hymns. You're caroling. Um, <laughs> somewhat. That's actually um, a decent comparison. That's that's literally what we're doing. We're marching down the streets um, caroling. Yeah, and there's, just with um, swords. <laughs> a lot more of those. I was, I was just going to mention that there is a martial arts demonstration, the Gatha Kardas. Awesome going in front of Guru Sahib. Yeah. Um, and Guru Sahib's Sroob, Guru Granth Sahib Ji is usually leading the parade. So they'll be at the very front and there will be five Sings in front of them. Um, and uh, the Sangat will be behind Maharaja Sroob. There's a, a big float and truck for, for Guru Sahib and then the Sangat is behind them, walking mm -hmm. all the way till the end. And then at the end, it's a lot of fun. There's a Kirtan keeps on going. There are mm. more martial arts demonstration. There's Langar for everyone. So I know in downtown, especially uh, the homeless population definitely takes advantage of this opportunity wow. because again, it's, yeah. it's a great opportunity for us to serve them. And, and after a brutal winter, it's, um, it's great that they get that help as well. 
Yeah, um, I was going to say in 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 Canada and in particular, I imagine it's it's such a particularly joyous time because <laughs> maybe this is well, the first sure. couple of weeks you're actually able to step outside and yeah. be out no, there. No, it in the honestly weather. is. Wow. Wow. So, um, and, and as a kid, did you, you were participating in the martial arts? Like what, what was the, the, the role that you played in that growing up? Yeah, I think that was uh, my favorite part. We, um, me specifically, I started, uh, teach or sorry, learning martial arts at the age of around five. And then our team would go from our area and, and join the larger, we call it an Akata, which is basically a ring. Um, hmm. where we would demonstrate it. And uh, initially as a kid, first I would just be part of the Sangat walking. And then as I grew a bit older, um, learned a bit more, then I joined the Akata, which happens during and after the, the Nugget Heathman. Yeah. And so during the pandemic, were you restricted from doing this then? was it? Did it take a different form? I mean, a big parade that's a lot of people. For the, the past two and a half years, we haven't had any Nagarkirtan. And I think for the last two Vasakis, um, most of the Gurdwari were actually closed. Mm. Um, so they still had the prayers ongoing, but it was a lot of in and out, not really sitting down uh, in the Gurdwara hall. Langar was essentially takeout just in containers. Right. And even the downtown Nagarkirtan this year, it's happening on Sunday. Uh, they're not doing the parade part of it, um, mm. but they're having a large event at City Hall where they've called the congregation. Um, so it'll still be a fairly large event, but it won't be the parade that we're used to seeing. Mm. Um, but the week after, on May 1st, there is an actual Nagarkitan in Malton. So it's going to be nice having that for the first time since mm. since COVID struck. So you're you're anticipating the parade this this weekend. I mean, I know that for the Sikh community, like you were saying, um, you know, serving the hungry, um, obviously distributing meals during the pandemic, you know, was something that was really critical ongoing. I saw in so many Sikh communities that this was something that people from the very first days were getting out there and doing just because it's part of the culture. Mm -hmm. Um, What are the things that you're in this coming year, you know, most excited about, you know, getting back to quote unquote normal or, or being able to operate at your full capacity as a community again? I feel like um, especially the younger generation lost a connection with the Gurdwara because they weren't able to go. A lot mm. of families used to have like a weekly trip to the Gurdwara, which also had to stop when the Gurdwara were closed. Mm-hmm. Um, so our mini mission, I guess you could say, has become to create a lot of engaging activities within the Gurdwara so that youth are once again attracted to it. Um, and the reason why is because at the end of the day, the Gurdwara is also supposed to act as a community center um, to some extent where we can gather, discuss any issues that pop up in the community, teach classes, um, pray together, learn together, grow together. And we've missed out on that for about two years. Um, timing has become a huge issue because some of us who were in undergrad at the time are in graduate studies. Those who were in high school are now in undergrad and, and things have shifted very significantly. So bringing them all back um, to the Godora and building those connections essentially from scratch has been a priority and something we are looking forward to, but it's going to take some time and adjustment because once you remove something from your schedule for about two years, it's yeah. very hard to bring that back. Um, but we're going to hope that, you know, through engaging activities like starting up the martial arts classes in person, again, having events like paint nights, um, community cleanups because today's Earth Day too. Yeah. Um, those types of small projects hopefully bring together the youth again 
and we have that youth community specifically at our Gurdwara build up again. Yeah, that's terrific. That's terrific. Well, I, you know, I I see in you an excellent leader, you know, leading the charge with that. And, and I, I, I wish you all the best with that. And, and particularly with this parade, it sounds like it's going to be phenomenal. I hope you'll, you'll send me pics. I really want to, I want to see how it goes out. Yeah, for sure. Can't wait. (laughs) This is Interfaith-ish, our bi-weekly show on WOWD 94.3 FM, where we discuss the common ground and differences between our traditions. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and this morning we're talking about the experience of celebrating religious holidays in person for the first time in two years. Another friend who hasn't slowed down in their community service work during the pandemic is Fazia Dean, who is Deputy Outreach Director for one of the largest mosques in Northern Virginia, Dar al-Hijra. We're in the midst of Ramadan, and for Fazia, it's been a mix of serving others and finding time for personal reflection as well. Before COVID, we would normally set up for like 15, 1200 to 1500 meals a night. And you know this, we've talked before, but, um, yeah, Darl Hidra comes, comes big. After COVID though, we're more like 800 meals a night, which is still pretty large. It is. Uh, Yeah. 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 So, um, so is this the first year that you've been able to even approach those numbers or were you doing it the last couple of years as well? No, so even? When we did drink COVID, we had a drive through. So we packaged right. the food and you could, it's a takeout and you just like pull up in your car and you go, I need four for my family or I need five Amazing. and it's first come first serve. So I don't know how many we did, but I think we did close to 1200 meals. So tell me, okay, so so um, you've got all this great work that you're doing there at the mosque. You're feeding the community. How has how has Ramadan been for you? How has it felt for you as an individual? Like what what are the things that you're you're feeling focused on, and and especially being able to um, jump back jump back into uh, more in person stuff? How has that experience been? So that's been a challenge. So when you are the deputy outreach director for such a large organization, you have to, it's really challenging to distinguish what is work and what is not. Cause um, mm. to find that space and time where you're connecting to God on that personal level. And I find that I have to get away from the actual mosque, which is what I love to be here but there's so many people and so much stuff happening that if I want that one-on-one and that personal connection, it has to be like two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, which is a sublime time when you can actually sit down and have your one-on-one with God. And so I have been focusing with a couple of my mentees on the 99 names of God. I don't know if we've talked about that before, but my personal connection this Ramadan has been getting to know him because if you convert Allah and you know this which is Arabic uh the Arabic word for God is Allah but when Arabs or Arab speaking people say Allah it means many many names so Hmm. like not just that God is one but he's the opener he's the supreme he's the magnificent he's the most merciful he's the forgiving so I've been studying these 99 names so that's my one thing that I have been doing consistently even if it's five minutes or it's it's that time of the morning just before Fajr just before you start you know getting your breakfast ready I spend like five ten minutes just connecting 
and doing a, a little bit of uh, sunnah prayers is what we call it, where I'm connecting with him on those names. In particular for me, because I'm a single mom and, and grandma this year, um, I'm connecting Congratulations. on- Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you. I'm connecting on those names of strength as I get older, Yakawi, Yamatin. Yakawi means the most strong, and Yamatin means to maintain. And as I mm. enter my golden years, I'm trying to like stay strong and and maintain that strength to what it takes to be in the interfaith world and to always uh, find time for you and your relationship with um, the Supreme Being. And so it's that one month and now we're down to the last 10 days, Jack. And it's like, it's like the end of the race where you're trying yeah. to get all your good deeds because it's a month of, uh, the month of multiplication of good deeds. Right. So, um, mm. the last 10 nights is even more powerful as you know. So, uh, one of those nights somewhere in there is going to be Lailatul Qadr which is the night of power. When Angel Gabriel came down and he began the process of teaching uh, Prophet Muhammad. And so the opening mm. of the Quran happened on that, that Laylatul Qadr night. So it's supposed to be one of the most magnificent evenings to be caught in prayer, to be caught in sujood where you're bowing to your Lord and, and the angels are coming down and they're coming down and, gazillions onto the earth and um taking up your good deeds and it's like you you want to have that night so these last 10 nights a lot of a lot of not sleeping is going on um a lot of people are reading <laughs> the whole you're caught up in the uh, excitement in the energy yes yeah it sounds like you've been able to find a good balance then between the community work you're there you're serving with your community you're 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 serving with your mentees as always <laughs> you're you're you are tireless it seems like in all the works that you're you're doing but it also it sounds like even if it's at 2 or 3 a.m. you're you're finding the time for yourself so i'm happy to hear that that you're yeah. it sounds like you're getting a lot from the experience this year I think it's just the finish line. It's like if you're in this race and you don't want it to end or you don't, you want to get to the finish line with all this big, good deeds. You want to pack everything in there because it, you, you try your best to, um, to be better than last year. So last year I couldn't read Arabic really well. But this year, I, this Ramadan and the very first day I started joining a group of women who read really well and so it's like riding a bicycle they would push me and pull me in that hour <laughs> at 7 30 in the morning and um and they're amazing women and i would always be shy of them but they kept me in their group and i can actually read arabic a lot better than last year the point is to improve yourself That's so great right we're not perfect right. human beings but it's the effort and being a better person each year and improving your character. And that's the personal part. As a community, what do you think is different this year for Daral Hijra than, than compared to last year now that things are a bit more open? The one thing I saw change was charity. Um, and it's like people came back. We had a, a dinner, a fundraising dinner, and we raised double 
than what we normally raise. Wow. And I think wow. people were so excited to be back without the mask and to be in a hall. We had this fundraising dinner just before Ramadan. And it was like amazing. People were giving double. People were matching other organizations. And we were in this room and we were like, oh my God, I haven't seen you in two years. And <laughs> people were just excited. And I saw that charity double. Amazing. That's something extremely significant. Not for, I'm talking about people who can afford to do that. They just yeah. were willing to do double. And I've seen the influx of refugees and the challenges that have come with it. So on the mm -hmm. counterbalance, we're faced with the Afghan refugees, right? And we have now become um, in partnership with other organizations and being a resettlement. And we never, we have our own social services. But on the other hand, we have this challenge of meeting the needs, right? And how do you become not, what the the needed uh, community, but the one that can create assets. We just hired a younger imam, and I think that mm -hmm. makes a, a big difference. And we still have our elder. We still have our elders. We still have the uh, what you call the mufti, the grand muftis, with their big knowledge. But yes. we have now given the big office over to the young imam right they're under the age of 40 they have a uh, kids that are like i don't know from four to teenagers so that group so you're now looking at we have a new um uh, youth director from washington dc so these younger guys with younger kids are like hey we should start thinking about bringing the youth back and maybe younger families would come mm. more if or attend more if they don't have to separate from their families. Wow. And so breaking down walls has become part of our renovation plan. So wow. where the women are on the back, uh, even though we're on the balcony, we can't really see the imam at the front, in the front part of the building. We see him on a monitor. So we're gonna break down all those walls and change the whole front of walking in. I'm excited. Breaking down walls, literally and figuratively. Look at that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and also in character. Also yes, in character. that's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. You're you're out there swinging the sledgehammer on multiple fronts there, Fazia. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love it. Come love on it. down. You got to come down <laughs> and visit us. This is Interfaith-ish, our bi-weekly show on WOWD 94.3 FM where we discuss the common ground and differences between our traditions. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and this morning we're talking about the experience of celebrating religious holidays in person for the first time in two years. Our final conversation takes us out west to speak with Nanaba Fogoth, a member of the Diné tribe on the Navajo Nation in northern Arizona. Last week, Nanaba was elected to the National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is of the United States. This annual election takes place during the 12 days of Rezvan, the most holy festival of the Baha'i calendar. As Nanaba explains, it's a time for the community to connect spiritually across generations. My name is Nanaba and I'll introduce myself in my language to you all. Yad Ebene She'e Nanaba Fogit Deshe Jine Toihe Glini Nishle 
Tachini e bushes chain, but Ethni dashiche, Belagana e dashinella. Hauk dan nasha. Look at you guy, dashagan. I just said my four Navajo clans. I am a, a Dine mother, a wife, and community member of the um, of the Hauk Pine Springs Sanders community, where I primarily um, do most of uh, the community building activities associated with the Baha'i Faiths programs, the educational programs. We've just come into the first uh, days of our holy our holy day celebrations, and the first day of Rizwan was just celebrated April twentieth at sunset. And on those first days of the Rizwan of Garden, which translates into paradise. It's also described as the king of festivals because this is when the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith declared to the world his special station, which is um, the promised one of all ages, has come. Baha'u'llah had been uh, revealing um, tablets and uh, guidance for all of humanity and what we know now as a divine administrative order. And as Baha'is, this time of Rizwan, usually um, local assemblies at the grassroots level, all across the world, in addition to um, delegates who were elected in um, uh, from their, their areas, their units go to national convention to also elect during the 12 days of Rizwan, the National Spiritual Assembly. I think the most unique thing about Baha'i elections is that there is no campaigning. It is by secret ballot. It is drawing on the spiritual nature of the human being and our connection to our creator um, through, through prayer, through um, selflessly committing our, our hearts and our mind to reflecting on those qualities that uh, a new race of men is called into being should be manifesting in all aspects of our lives, in our personal and private lives, uh, our, the conduct that we have in public, and aligning this sacred time uh, in the Garden of Paradise and Baha'u'llah's message, which calls humanity to a higher spiritual station, an ancient, an ancient remembering as uh, um, I was told by my indigenous women that we um, we are remembering who and what it means to be a spiritual being and that is exactly what attracted my relatives uh, my ancestors to the to the faith um, when my my aunt, my grandparents were in search of teachings that testified to the nobility of the human soul and when they came across the Baha'i faith, particularly the ones who are carrying the message of Baha'u'llah, they were struck by the qualities and the spiritual habits of prayer that these two teachers demonstrated towards um, Native people. And it was how they, in their being and their doing and what they knew, my, my grandparents immediately recognized that there was something unique about being a Baha'i. And when they heard the name of Baha'u'llah translating into the glory of God, they, they had recognized some uh, cultural and traditional wisdom in the way 
that Baha'u'llah had been uttering and penning the, the revelation of this new faith. My grandfather uh, and uh, his brother um, were, the, were some of the first Native people serving on the, at the national level on the, the spiritual assembly of the Baha'is of the United States. And um, Franklin Kahn was one of them, and he served for a number of years. I believe it was something maybe uh, more than 10 years. I, I think it was even 12 years. And uh, Chester Kahn was later um, voted, and I believe he served some nine years. And uh, what that did really was galvanize the local people. And I think it was a, a, a signaled point to all indigenous people, the original inhabitants of this land, that uh, their their concerns, their lived experience um, is also recognized in those consultations and have its sphere of influence upon how um, national responds to the country as a whole and the, the related issues. And um, it all, I think it also meant a lot for the inclusion of diverse peoples, as we know Baha'u'llah's message is for all of humanity to unite under one banner, um, just as um, we are the leaves of one tree. And I think it meant not, not, not just to Native Indigenous people, but all peoples of color, African-American people, immigrant people coming to these shores, that if the lowliest of the lowliest humbled and abased people, the meekest people um, can, can be recognized for their deeds and the qualities of their service at that level, it, it gave a lot of hope. So back home, it, it had further galvanized the Diné people and reaffirmed, reassured that uh, there is a place and there's a recognized nobility as Baha'u'llah teachings um, see in, in every human soul, the aspirations of, of the etiquette of, of our hearts at that level. Of the nine, I was uh, the ninth to be voted in. And yeah, it was, it was a, um, a very humbling moment and very emotional moment. And uh, um, some of the guidance describes that though we, we feel um, dismayed by our own unworthiness and our shortcomings, um, however, this gathering and the election is because it's a, a sacred process in and of itself that um, those elected are, are um, also have been influenced by the, the mysteries of, the, mis the mysterious ways of, of Baha'u'llah. I have some big shoes to fill. However, I think it's definitely an advance for um, all indigenous people of North America that there's still this lived experience coming from how we describe living in two worlds, the, the the kind of material colonized world of experiences, but also moving as indigenous people have been strengthened by Baha'u'llah's revelation, um, the spiritual dimension of what it means to walk in beauty and, and carry that forward um, and, and live in this, this one reality together. So I feel I'm really honored. I feel really humbled and uh, um, it can invite everyone listening, all of your listeners, that uh, 
these current contemporary forces that are um, and this decaying social order around us, we can be assured that any prayer anywhere in the world, um, any any prayer, and those expressions um, are are a befitting response to galvanizing in so many uh, ways that we're not aware of um, this spiritual process that will need to be reinforced by all faiths, all religions, um, so that we can unite and, and combat the negative forces that really tend to rob our society so that we can all give back to the common will, to the goodwill. Dear listener, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. I want to again thank my guests, Sarah Ventry, Cassandra Lawrence, Dalraj Singh Gill, Fazia Dean, and Nanaba Fogoth. You can read more about their work and the holidays we discussed in the show notes of this episode. As always, I want to give a shout out to my fellow interfaith astronauts Miranda Hovmeyer and Sue Katz-Miller, and our musical maestro, Jeff Philosopher. Thanks for hanging with me for 100 episodes. And thank you, dear listener, for spending your hour with us. If you're listening to this over at TacomaRadio.org, you can also find our archive of past shows or check us out on your podcast aggregator of choice. You can find our full list of all 100 episodes with great interfaith conversations to listen to on the way to your next celebration. We're on social media at Interfaith-ish, and you can keep writing us about the Interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. Interfaithish will be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at TacomaRadio.org.